Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 543. And it's a bonus episode. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy flipping Friday. And December has begun. I'm putting out so many episodes of this podcast in December, man. I think I've got two for you next week. And then obviously drunk cast season is obviously loads. As I mentioned before, I know that this is the time of year a lot of podcasts take a hiatus. And I just basically want to fill your podcast feed. So hope you enjoy them all and uh, you spread the word and the love. Today's bonus episode is with William Oldroyd, who's one of my favourite directors, but we'd never had any interaction at all. Um, You never know how these things are going to go. William Oldroyd did a film called Lady Macbeth, which was in my films of the year, like one of the first years I did films of the year on the podcast. So um, yeah, I've been a fan for a while. And then I went to see his new film, Eileen, which comes out today. And I loved it. I loved how surprised I was at different points. I love going into a film blind. A lot of you know that. And it really paid off with this one because, yeah, it's just really good fun. Um, I recommend it. It's in cinemas now. Um, And we're going to get into it. But before we do, we're brought to you as ever by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can get loads of winter goodies christmas goodies you get to support the podcast and you get some dope shit so that's good um you can also support by going to patreon.com forward slash scrubius pipio and you can support for a dollar or two a month if you if you listen regularly and you think you know i'd buy pip a pint if i saw him to thank him for all these free episodes um then that's a way to do the equivalent of of that and then twitch.tv forward slash scrubius pipio I don't know what my plans are on Twitch over over Christmas, but it normally gets wild. So we shall see. Watch this space. Anyway, let's get on with this chat because it is a film nerd's dream. I was saying me and William hadn't had any interaction. And then this, I had this with the Emerald one the other week that it just went gloriously. It's someone I've not met before. I'm a big fan of. You don't know how that's going to go similarly they're both only on their second film so if we don't hit it off this is going to be a really hard conversation to drag out couldn't have been further from the truth for either really enjoyed them both so yeah let's get into it this is the distraction pieces podcast episode 543 with william oldroyd Right, I'm here today with with William Oldroyd. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to talk to you. I've been a fan f- for a long time. I was talking to, I think, a, a mutual friend of ours, Jason McNabb, a little while ago about. Um, oh yeah, yeah. About how much of a fan I am. So, so I'm pleased we could could, uh, could get some time into chat. Fantastic. How is this period? Because you've done all the work. Yes. You've handed in your homework and you're waiting yeah. for it to be read out to the class. The teacher's taken two years to mark it. <laughs> yeah, right. So you forgot you forgot what you wrote. So you have to you have to quickly remember. Because we, we shot the film two years ago. Right. Which feels like a completely different lifetime because um, it was in the thick of COVID. Mm. And I, I just was remembering because we just took the film to uh, New York. We just had a screening there and I was reminiscing with all of the crew. Yeah, yeah, we were in New Jersey. It was the winter. It was freezing, 
And um, so all that Christmassy cold that you see on the screen is for real. And we didn't yeah. have to fake any of that. Yeah, and, and then of you know things being as they are, then we finished it in July of, the, of the, the next summer. And then we went to Sundance, which again was another winter festival. And here we are now releasing it in December as a, as a Christmas release. Yeah. So it's like when you try and hit all these Christmas marks, it can take a couple of years before people see the film. It really know? can. But it's weird. It's, it's interesting you mentioning that about all the coldness being real. It's weird how that comes across on screen, isn't it? I was talking to a friend of mine about this recently and about kind of there was a lot of 70s films that were kind of all London in the in the, the summer type thing and you can see the heat on camera kind of thing and it's yeah, yeah. it's weird how I think we've got g- good at faking it and I don't know I guess aesthetically it's f- fakeable but there's something there l- 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 I like this film felt freezing <laughs> yes it felt it genuinely I mean, cold talk- I don't know how that comes across talk to the actors they'll tell you yeah I mean they were they were on the front line you know, we were we were all <laughs> wrapped up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's better to do it, as long as everyone's safe, do you know? I think it's better to do it for real than than to sort of fake it if you, if you can. And, then, and we could because we were surrounded by snow. So it was like, it was a no-brainer, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we, then we just put in little bits here and there where we needed it for um, dressing the set and what have you. But, um, you know, Thomas in, she's, um, if you, I don't know if you know, the actress who plays Eileen, you know, there's a scene where she has a big night out and wakes up next morning in the snow. Yeah. Face face planted in the snow. Yeah. Right? I think she felt the benefit of um, being in real snow doing that in Mate. a pair of sort of laddered tights. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. agree more. As an actor, I've always said the less things I have to act, the better. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like the more bits that are real... And yeah. then I can f- can focus on the on the character yeah. and on this and that rather than, f- than focus on being yeah. cold or out <laughs> yeah, of breath exactly. or whatever. It's like I'll have a run around if I need to be out of yeah. breath because I don't want to have to to focus on yeah. on pretending no. to be out of breath. Exactly. No, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't yeah. Agree more. It's it's so. I want to talk about your new film, which is Eileen. We've got a bit of time. I also want to talk about a, a Lady Macbeth because it's one of my favourite yeah. films of all time, oh, but great. I kind of want to start in that in-between bit because we don't hear enough about the journey from uh, between films and getting a film made and following up a debut feature and you've just given an ins- insight there that, that you wrapped t- 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 two years ago, but mm. Lady Macbeth came out in 2016. Again, just amazing. What was the journey after that? How did you s- select what was going to be your next story? And then mm. and how does the ball get rolling and keep rolling? I think it's fair to say for everyone who made Lady Macbeth, you know, there was a lot of you know, really great collaborators and a lot of first-timers, if you like, on mm. um, in, in all departments. No one really had anticipated the reaction it would get. That um, you know, It was made with the uh, great help of um, Creative England, BFI, BBC Films, you know, on a low-budget scheme. And, you know, like... There was no expectation this movie should even recoup its money. I mean, it was like a sort of, it was a talent development scheme for everyone, mm. you know, behind camera, front of camera. So there was no expectation that it should even recoup. That was not the sort of objective, yeah. if you yeah. know what I mean. So the fact that um, it was well received meant that with that came quite a lot of um, noise. There's a lot of people who had a lot of very strong opinions about what everyone should be doing next and mm-hmm. 
a lot of scripts came through. And of course, what you realize after a bit of time is a lot of these scripts have been around for a long time and they just feel like, well, maybe this this guy, he won't realize that this has been kicking around for the last 10 years. Right. He'll, right, he'll, maybe he has a fresh take on, a, on something that he no one else has touched. passed on this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you read a lot of scripts and then you think about it. And, and the thing about Lady Macbeth was I'd been there from the beginning. So I was lucky in that Alice Birch really came to me with the idea in the first place. Like we met for a cup of coffee and she, um, she said, I got this, this idea to adapt this book into a film. And I'd been through that process of a year and a half with Fola, the producer's well to to see how she was going to make that into a screenplay mm. so when you so when you get a script and you haven't been part of the journey of where that gets to it's you feel like you're one step behind you know yeah so i really like so i was looking for stuff where i could books and articles and, and ideas stories where i could be part of that process again but of course that takes a lot longer yeah and i went on several journeys and it's you know like a relationship you sort of you try it out you don't know until you're in it what it's going to be like and mm-hmm. then like with all these things, I'm sure you know, like for whatever reason, it could fall flat or there's a you know an actor who is attached falls off or the money is not there or there's someone changes their mind or just it's just amazing that a movie ever gets I, made. I know about it all too well at the moment. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going through tr- tr- trying to make my directorial debut when a writer's strike and actor strike oh, suddenly gets. So yeah, oh, the things God. that can yeah. happen can be so... <laughs> Out of your control. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. And then, you know, what you'll find now is that all those actors who were available before, the schedules have all got backed up. Yep. And then, you know, I mean, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I mean, so I'm just a long way of saying, basically, I'm still learning how like, miraculous it is in a way that films get made. Because when all the parts mm. come together, it's just, you know, and then, and then even then, you know, there's no guarantee that the movie's actually going to be any good. You know, yeah. like it's like you, 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 f- you finally get everything, all the, all the ingredients, and then you taste it. It's like, oh, it doesn't taste very good. The, the second <laughs> I stepped on a film set, I became far less critical of films or far more polite with my criticism of films just because of the understanding of, as you, exactly as you say, how mad it is that a film gets made because there's so many angles, but then also yeah. how insane it is that it's good. Um, the, there was a book called... A, a cultured left foot by a writer called Moose Rock Wonga. And it was a a football book by a guy who at that time was mainly known as a poet. And it worked really well because his views on things were amazing. But one of the things he he highlighted was in England, we have such expectation of England winning a World Cup. But what we don't (laughs) realise is how hard it is for that to happen. The amount of things these players had to have had a good season at their clubs and then that come together and have a good training camp here and then this has to happen yeah. and that has to happen. It's like, it's not as simple as you have the best players or the best team. There's so many things and that rang true as soon as I was on a, fi- a film set. Yeah. It's like everyone has to have had the right project before this maybe. Whether that be a project that they hated and now they're excited to be on something that they, they're happy to be on. And there's so many th- different factors that can mm. stop a film being made in general, but then, yeah, st- 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 stop it reaching its potential, I guess. Well, also, I, mem- I remember I was asked to say a few words to, to say um, on the first day of shooting to say um, thanks everybody for coming together and how excited I am to make this and I'm glad we're all here and so on. And and I had to sort of remember, it wasn't the first day. I mean, it's the first day of shooting, but it had been a couple of years yeah. to get to that point. Yeah. So it's almost like you're saying to the group, you you know, you're, you're meeting us at the midpoint because we're going to shoot this and then there'll be another six, seven months of the edit and then there'll be a couple of years before we even get to, to promote the thing. Yeah. So the lifetime of a film is huge. But then what's great is you meet so many different people along the way, don't you? And then you're trying to bring them all in and 
She goes, as long as you feel like we're all saying the same thing, I suppose that's our job then when we're directing it is to make sure that everybody is saying the same thing. Yeah. Because, because you know, you ask some of the crew now about the movie, there, but remind me the name of that film again. I mean, they've made 10 things since. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've definitely had people who I've met on set and we've had to rack our brains as to where we've met before. Yeah. Because they've done so many projects. I'm like, I've only done eight things. It's one of these. And they're like, that's the one. Because it's there again, onto the next thing. But um, it's interesting you mentioning giving a speech on the first day of of shooting because unbeknownst to you, you've massively impacted me due to a story that Florence told me of the first day on... On, on Lady Macbeth, because... So basically, for years, I've been kind of asked and pushed towards the directing because I've done some music videos that have won some awards, and I've always felt underqualified. And Florence told me a story of... As I said, day one on, on Lady Macbeth, where you essentially gave that kind of speech and said, look, this is my first feature. Like, it's a first for a lot of us, but we all need each other. Like, like, like mm-hmm. I, I need you. I've got, I've got my vision, but I need you. And you, 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 you know, it is a team thing. And it really kind of gave me that, all right, yeah, well, you don't have to know everything no. going in. No. You're going to be learning no. and you're going to be putting together the right team and, and learning on the job as such. And that was a massive yeah. kind of inspiration to get me off my ass. I go, no, actually, I do want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, yeah. I can't yeah. wait until I'm Martin Scorsese in my head and then on my yeah. <laughs> on my feature, like I know it all, I've done all the research. So how was that to kind of speak to a team and 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 kind of be aware that I think there's something beautiful about indie films and things that are like your BFI with the greatest respect are kind of made for the art of it rather than for commercial means. There's something beautiful about everyone pulling together and it mm. being a team effort. So yeah, mm. how is that? The, the thing that scared me most was that, you know, as a director, you feel like you have to know everything. Like mm. into, you have to know, you have to have an understanding of every element of the filmmaking process. And also there's um, a sense in which, you know, the, the director's deemed to be infallible on some level. Like you cannot make any mistakes, mm-hmm. you know. But I think that's totally your choice. If you set it up that you say, look, I'm not infallible, obviously, that <laughs> I have the right to make mistakes too, in the same way that you do. You know, mm. I'm not going to give you a hard time. That's the whole process is about that we can try things out. Then I think it's much easier because, you know, what the project is like when you stand in front of a, a crew of people who are all waiting for you to not only tell them what to do, but what you're telling them to do has to be exactly the right thing to do in that moment. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's paralyzing. It's totally... You're like, God, and I, there's I a lot know. of money on the line. There's a lot of right. There's a lot of stakes, and, and quickly because we're going to shoot the scene by lunch, and you haven't even started. You know, and it's like yeah. so. It's like all of this sort of. Um, but what I realise is that actually, for example, with Ari, the cinematographer I've worked with twice now, she did later with Beth and then Eileen. You know, she didn't even let me go anywhere near the camera. I don't know how to turn it on. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I always felt a bit, you know, I had a slight imposter syndrome in that I didn't go to film school, I didn't understand anything technical about filmmaking at all. I don't yeah. know really about lenses or all of the, the technical stuff of, you know, the fact that I can't, like, I've never touched a camera. Yeah. Right? And I've seen I've seen lots of documentaries and things where directors swinging the camera around and they're sort of, you know, but it gave me a lot of freedom because actually I didn't need to know how to turn the camera no. on. So I, like Ari, that's, she's she's the expert. Yeah, I just need to make sure I'm clear in what I'm trying to achieve, 
and let her help me do that. And that was the same with every department. Yeah. You know, I just, like, when we just did this one um, with the music, I don't read music very well. Um, I don't really have the language, but that was fine because Richard, who composed the score, said, just tell me what you like and what you don't like. Mm. And if you can describe a little bit why, then that will help me to know what which avenue to keep going down. And I said, like, oh, that's great. And then just quickly, I, I, I'll just say one thing. With, uh, I spoke to a producer once, just, just recently I was doing um, an exam. I just had to do a language exam and um, it was multiple choice. And he, he said to me, well, you should be used to that. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, isn't that, isn't that your job as a director? Basically, people bring you things and you choose which one. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I suppose he's right in a way. Like, it, I suppose, yeah, you know, what, you, know you, you go to a costume department, they're like, they've got three dresses, which one do you want? I want that one. Okay, then you yeah. go to uh, hair and makeup. What, which, which wig? You know, or the, just different, different looks and so on. Actually, I suppose it's having that idea in your head, which is clear in the first place, to be able to make that decision. Yeah. So that everything then lines up and so on. But um, every time I do a, a, a film, and I've only done two, I feel like I've learned so much more in the making of it. You know, like I've learned way more this time. And the first time I feel like, in a way, that, for example, this time it, I had more than one location. Like with Lady mm. Beth, we were really in one house with four people. And it was great because it meant I could really focus on what they needed, the actors. And then this time I had to also focus on, you know, being in a, in a different location, all the all the challenges that that brings up. You know, what does that do? Did, do you now actively feel that coldness brings out the best in you? Because I remember, again, speaking to Florence and Cosmo about that house being <laughs> fucking ice Freezing. cold for costume and all this kind of thing. And then all of a sudden you're saying, yeah, we were shooting in the snow <laughs> face down. Yeah. Do you feel like, yeah. I always remember, I don't particularly want to say his name, but I'm sure it was David Cameron saying he had read that you shouldn't go to the toilet before a speech because that urge to need to go to the toilet brings something extra out in your speech. Do you think there's something subconscious in coldness that brings the the best out in you of you as a creator? I won't be able, I won't be able to see him give a speech now without thinking that his bladder clearly needs needs to go to the toilet. Like, oh, yeah. that's what it is. That that actually helps me understand a lot about David Cameron. He always needs a pee. Yeah, that's yeah. His, <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. That's but that, the truth I, yeah, I think but I think any as you say, like if you can. And I and I really only f- follow what an actor says they need because I'm not someone who's going to impose a uh, method- methodology on someone. In that very early on, I I want to establish with an actor like, how do you like to work, even maybe before we've even agreed to work together. Mm-hmm. And what's the and sometimes actors just end up saying, um, well, however you want, really. But I know that's not the truth because everyone has a very clear idea of what they like, and what they don't like. Yeah. You know? So if you can if you can say no, really tell me what you what how do you like to work. And because part of my job is bringing those two people together who have very different ideas about how to get a scene to, to work mm. and, and then make sure that we can accommodate the needs of both of them. I haven't met an actor yet who says um, any external factors like you know cold, heat, is not going to help them. If it, if it helps them get into the situation, mm. I think all these things are there for free. So you, yeah. it's your choice to use it or not. But um, yeah, that's it. I love it. I love it. And it's, as I said, it's bringing these styles and everything together. And I want to talk mm. a little bit about that with because like in Lady Macbeth you've you've got it felt like breakout roles for Florence Pugh and and Cosmo Jarvis who've both been on the podcast I thought their performance was amazing again I've spoken to them both about different approaches like Cosmo wanting to literally sleep in a barn and stuff yeah. like that and Florence being like <laughs> no I'm good I'd rather <laughs> 
I'd rather I'd rather act that part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Cosmo slept in the house and then I think he freaked himself out because it was a big old drafty house and yeah. it was empty. And I, and I, and I, I don't know, it, I think he heard some creaks in the night. Yeah. I mean, he's a, t- he's a tough guy, but... <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to sleep in that house on my own. No, sure. completely. But but I mean, so how important is is bringing through people like that? Because and is there a sense of pride as you watch? Like Florence, obviously, has gone on to be one of the biggest names in the world, rightfully so. Cosmo just astounding in Peaky Blinders and Calm with yeah. Horses, and just doing amazing, continuing to just show, yeah, just how great they are. So, is there a pride in this in the finding of of these 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 people? Yes, and I and yeah, and I can only imagine how proud Shaheen Beg feels because yeah. um, these are her um, doesn't sound right to say her kids, but these are people that she found like she saw something in these people and and yeah. gave them a, a chance, and they have all no one's disappointed her. Yeah. You know, like they've all gone on like Naomi Aki as well. I mean, Naomi who was yeah. Yeah. In, I mean incredible seeing her as Whitney in uh, yeah. Whitney Houston, amazing, yeah. and some of the stuff she's been up to. But um, yeah, it's, it's enormously gratifying. <clears throat> I think that uh, that um, we got an opportunity to work together in the early days. You know, and uh, and actually Cosmo and, and Florence, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying they have different approaches to to working. You know, Cosmo, mm. I think would freely admit that he. He loves to, as you say, you know, he, he loves to really, really get into it as much as possible. And then sort of we keep the camera rolling and it just sort of like we go again and again and again. And it just each time we do it, there isn't really a sort of like a stop and a start of the scene. The scene just keeps evolving and we, and we just keep rolling. Mm. And out of that comes something quite magical and organic, you know. And, but with Florence, she has this extraordinary ability to, you know, be chatting with a crew member, having a coffee one, one, one minute, next minute. She can just snap into, you know, beating someone's brains out on the floor of it, like, and be in an emotional state, which is so different to where she was 30 seconds ago. She can just mm. turn it on like that. It was really remarkable to see that. I remember one scene we, we were, where she, um, she kills her husband. Unfortunately, we ran out of time in the day to finish the scene. So I was very, very worried. I was really pushing for, for overtime to just, I was like, we're never going to pick up the scene the next day in the same emotional state. Imagine we, everyone goes home, has dinner, mm. gets to bed and whatever. Yeah. But sure enough, next morning it was as if she it was it was extraordinary to see this like, wow. like she had she hadn't left the scene. Mm. They're just in there, just wham! I was like, great. I mean, that's that's a real skill to have that. So yeah, it was uh, it was a hap- I'm very I'm very very um, fond of those days that we spent together in Durham shooting that film. Yeah, I love it. Um, and uh, my last bit on on Lady Macbeth here, just because you, you're speaking of that switch and that transition, yeah. I need to. To tell you, you my experience of watching it because I was filming, I was shooting a film in Leeds, and I was being picked up at eleven a.m., so a very reasonable pickup time. And I'm I'm in the car with another actor, and we're having a catch up. And just before it sets off, I was told I wasn't needed today after all. So my go to there is always straight off to the cinema. I love being in the <laughs> cinema in the room. So it's like, oh, I've got a free day, cool. So I was straight off to the cinema and and watching Lady. Mac- but Beth, I'd, my brother had told me about it. So it had been on my list while I was there. And within the first 10, 20 minutes, I was taken out of it completely. 
because the person I was just in the car with was Christopher Fairbank, who I had no idea <laughs> is then appearing on screen. So I'm, I'm I'm submitting myself to this, and I'm like, oh, that's Chris from the car. That's not... Oh, right. So <laughs> it, it was the bizarrest yeah, and he's of not, moments. And he's not, very, he's not very nice in the movie as well. So no. probably had that big, when you go back to me, like, oh, all right. Yeah, you see a he's, ho- side he's horrible in the movie. But yeah, in I, the movie. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> How's that balance then? Because again, having someone like Christopher who's got all the experience, like my main thing yeah. on set was just f- try and find Christopher and get stories off him because he's just been oh, on yeah. so many sets and done oh, so many yeah. things. So how was it having s- someone of that experience to collaborate with, I guess, or as part of your team? Well, you just got to, you, I mean, you just got to give him the respect because, yeah. you know, he's been, as you say, he's been on so many sets. I mean, at, at the same time, he's... Um, He's smart enough and gracious enough to know that every set's different. So, you know, he yeah. is responsive. He's not going to come and do the same thing. Although I would say the role is definitely in his wheelhouse. You know, I mean, it's it's um, a sort of Victorian nasty bastard. I mean, it's basically, I mean, you yeah. know, he could do it in his sleep. But the fact that he was still searching for something new, I was very, very uh, grateful to him that he would keep exploring. Because, um, you know, think of it from Chris's point of view. You know, a bunch of first-time filmmakers in the northeast of England, you know, like a week shoot, freezing cold house. Like it's just like literally, give me the top hat, tell me where to stand, and I'll just do it. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> yeah. but actually, he, um, you know, he got on really well with Florence. I think you know, there's I remember one scene where he had to be a lot of scrambled egg before he leaves for London in the scene, and it, it, I think they give him too much egg on his plate. He was really struggling to get it all down before he had to leave. I've got so many outtakes of him and France pissing themselves, laughing, and him just egg going everywhere. Uh, but you know, like he's a, he's a good sport. He's yeah. a really good sport. Yeah, and uh, and I think everyone on that set, all the cast and crew, were all in it for the right reasons. You know, no one was making any money. We were just all um, we were all bought in. It's also helpful, I think, that we were all staying in the same place. So we were shooting in the house and then staying in uh, like a farm next door. So we all um, we knew we were there for a month. And uh, just like hang out with each other. Yeah. Again, there's a beauty, and I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I over romanticise this, but I do feel it comes across on screen when, as I said earlier, it is this team effort. Everyone is there for each other and to make this the best that they can, rather than just as I say it's it's a it's a gig on to the next one. It, I don't know. There's something about those. <laughs> normally poorly paid gigs that that, that bring yeah, that out because yeah. you need to be there for something. If you're not there for the money, why yeah. are you there? So is you know what I mean? It's That's what holds it together. And I remember Chris actually saying to me, you know, because yeah, as you said, he's got a, some good stories. I remember once he was saying that he was very grateful to some A-list actors he'd worked with on various movies who agreed to stick around for their off-camera coverage. You know, mm-hmm. So when Chris was on camera mm-hmm. and they were off, that they actually say they did the scene with him. And because um, it's not always the case, you know, is it, uh, like yeah. actors can can get someone else to stand in. And but he, so I think the fact that he really respects that he's a, he's a proper actor. He 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 made sure he was there for all that stuff too, which helped because you know sometimes it was like take off, take off, take off. It was late at night and he was, could have been in the pub, but he stuck around. And uh, I'm really grateful to him for that. Yeah, I, I love it. And it, it makes a difference to everyone's performances and to everyone's relationship on the project. So, yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. But, I mean, well, speaking of cast, you mentioned uh, uh, Thomas and McKenzie earlier. Really interesting to hear that you wrapped this two years ago because I was thinking, obviously, they blew me away in, in Leave No Trace, but then even more so in Last Night in Soho. Yeah. But Last Night in Soho wouldn't have been out when you 
cast them. So how? No. What was the what? Again, it must feel great because they're just clearly a rising star. Yeah. So the longer it's taken, the better, <laughs> the bigger a name you've got there. Well, it's also reassuring because it is when we were in pre-production. I went to go and see that film in New York, and yeah. um, I was like, "God, I hope I like it." Because <laughs> otherwise, yeah. And then seeing her, I was going to be like, "Oh yeah, fantastic!" Because I loved her in, I loved her in um, Leave No Trace, yeah. and we'd met a couple of times. Once um, she'd read the script of Eileen, she'd, she'd read the book. We, we met for about an hour and a half, and then she taped, and then we met for another couple of hours, all on Zoom, because if she's in was in New Zealand. and um, So we knew each other pretty well. <clears throat> and um, so I knew she would be perfect for Eileen before, but it's just it's just great to see that she's see her be brilliant in a movie like that. And actually, mm-hmm. i tell you that, the, that, that where I saw her and was reminded how brilliant she was, was in... Um, True history of the Kelly Gang. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought she was just fan. She had some scenes in that. I just thought she was so uh, mesmerising on screen. Mm. I couldn't take my eyes off. I really thought she was great. And so it's a combination of that with with Deborah Granick's movie and then meeting her. I mean, she's really great. I'm so lucky to work with these fantastic actors. And I think having these good scripts really means you get access to these people. Do you know? Like, yeah. Or I mean, and uh, just. Anne Hathaway is yeah. <laughs> is an icon and and turns in just another astounding performance. She's really got that, which is essential to this character. As soon as yeah. she walks on screen, you're like, yeah. oh, okay. Like the character is just you've you, you're you're entranced instantly. So, and that's obviously yeah. key to to Eileen and to us as a viewer. So, yeah, how, how was it? And 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 Shay. A Wiggum as well, who I mainly know from Baldwell Empire, just a big fan. Yeah. But I think that trio are just absolutely, you know, in, yeah. in in those really crucial roles, they're just, yeah, astounding. So how is it to find that, particularly when it's a book? It's not not characters yeah. that you've written in your mind, but no. the first time you've, you've read it, you will have had some kind of visual. How is it to put these people into those visuals? Well, it's great because <clears throat> when you have these great actors who have a very clear idea of how the character should be played, as a director, actually, I've noticed that you can have a very strong idea, but because you're doing a million things and preparing to make a film, and the actors are really focusing on one thing, mm-hmm their character, after a while, <clears throat> you realise that the actor knows their character way better than you're going to know them. Yeah, yeah. And so you've got to trust that because you've you've worked, you've got the actor in for a reason, which is that you it's think you've got good instincts. It's the actor's job to focus, as yeah. you say, completely on, on that one. So, so, so you've had, if I had a strong idea about the character, then actually the process of taking a bit of rehearsal time <clears throat> before, which is really no more than just chatting it through and making sure all of the thoughts are clear and so on. That's their opportunity to present something because it's too late on the day. If they mm. start presenting ideas on the day that we're shooting and it's not something that lines up with an overall idea of the thing, I think it's, it's much harder to try and steer away from that when everyone is waiting to know what the next shot is and so on. So just establishing these key elements of who characters and actually they all brought something far more nuanced and interesting to the character than maybe what my first reading was. You know, Shay yeah. was really, really, really keen that we avoid the classic ex-cop, alcoholic, Boston dad, abusive, you know, that sort of, there was there's a very obvious shouty version of that. Mm-hmm. And I think what he found was so much more complex. And, mm. you know, and, and, and so my role as director in that respect was he had a clear idea and I just was there for him to, he would ask me, like, 
you know, can you feel is 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 it are we in the right area? Will you got to tell me if this feels like bullshit? Mm. You know, like I've, he has a really good idea of when he's bullshitting. He'll he'll just sort of stop himself in the middle of a take and just right. say, "I'm going again," you know, because he wants to yeah, stay yeah, alive yeah. in the thing, you know, whatever. And I have to trust that you know he knows himself well enough that he can just like it doesn't ring true, you know. Yeah, and and truth is key in 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 that performance in particular. I felt with that performance in particular, there was so much that was unsaid. It felt like there was so much story there and so much history that we don't yeah. we don't ever find out about. But he was kind of bringing it all onto the screen. Yeah, and we and it was quite good in the way the actors' schedules lined up because. I think Shay was available before Christmas and Annie was available after Christmas. So we shot Eileen and Dad for 10 days before Christmas. And then mm. we were able to totally create Eileen's life in the house with her mm. dad, what all the what that situation was like for her. And then after the holiday break, we, we just shot her life with Eileen, which is the alternative. Yeah. So we could really push the contrast on what a life with Rebecca might be like against yeah. the, the horror of this life that she lives with her dad. Yeah. And so it was it was nice. We, every day we'd go in, in, before Christmas, go into the house and you're not sort of then, Shay's not going off for a day while we do a scene with Eileen and Rebecca or doing another scene. We could just every day go in the house and we just build up this relationship, mm. you know, and, and he and Thomason spent some good time together sitting in the house, just hanging out, building up a relationship as a father and daughter, you know. I love it. Uh, beforehand yeah and we were lucky that we, we we got that house a couple of days you know fully furnished like Craig the production designer did it for us so that we could go and sit in there and just imagine what it would be like you know to cook an egg in the kitchen or go upstairs and get into the bed and have a sleep or yeah. go down and sit by the fire and look out the window and like they just got to that was the rehearsal in a way just to it's live in the house for a it's bit it's a gift right I've, I've visited a friend on set recently and it was one of the first sets I've been to that almost everything was playable. Like you could walk out of this room into this room or out of this building down an alleyway and just, yeah, that kind of thing from an actor and director's perspective, I guess, is so exciting. It's such a treat because you've got Mm. no restriction. You're like, right, well, this is the real world now. Like this is our real world now. Well, they also had a chance to sit in there without cameras. So, like, Mm. you know, once the crew get in, there's a small house, a small location and... um, it very quickly gets full of kits, doesn't it? Yeah. And then there's lights and everyone's in there. And you're like, all you can see is the sofa where you've got to sit down. You can't see anything else. But Whistle's an opportunity for them to see the full house. And um, yeah. you know, like what you're saying about um, if you've got the snow, why don't you use it? Well, we had a full house and it didn't take much, it didn't take much to sort of, you know, put carpet on there and put the wallpaper up. And it wasn't yeah. much more expensive than if we'd just done one bit of it. Yeah, yeah, of course. So... So it was, I think they really loved that um, opportunity to live in it for a bit. You know, I mean, yeah. no one slept there. I mean, maybe if Cosmo had come, he would have slept upstairs. But... <laughs> if Cosmo <laughs> had a set visit, he would have slept upstairs, regardless of being involved in it. Um, I, uh, before we, we run out of time, I want to make sure yeah. we talk about sexuality and capturing sexuality on screen, because I think it's something you're amazing at for from... Jotham and Terry in Best to Florence and Cosmo mm. in Lady Macbeth to in Eileen where you're presenting Thomasin's character being full of unfulfilled desire and Anne's as oozing as sexuality. What is it that, that I guess fascinates you about this element of of humans? Because it's as I said it's cropped up in in everything in some way. Yeah, um, I don't I haven't thought about it. Uh, it's interesting 
that um, I suppose in Lady Macbeth and Eileen, they're both trapped and need to escape. <clears throat> but mm. it's not like a literal. I mean, yes, they would both like to get out of the. I mean, for for Catherine in Lady Macbeth, I suppose she wants to get out of her situation, and and also she wants to go outdoors. She's told she can't go outdoors. Yeah, she wants to escape the house. Eileen wants to escape Exford, where she lives, and get and get to New York or get away. But then, obviously, at the same time, you know, what is the the trigger, the catalyst for that is it is connected so deeply to obsession, some yeah. sort of obsessive love, desire. You know, we've all felt it. I think, um, yeah, we've all known what that that strong feeling is like, and there's nothing more powerful. It's one of the most relatable and basic things that we all have, but don't necessarily always discuss, particularly in Britain, where everything is quite totally taboo. Yeah. So I think it's an amazing thing or a powerful thing to use on screen and again i i don't know there's a there's a comfort with which you present it it feels like mm-hmm. and and again it's really it puts the viewer at ease as well like i mean it's it's a it's kind of quite ma- matter of fact um mm. that that this is a desire this is a thing and um yeah yeah i think it works well i think i've always been i've, I've always been surprised when i've watched foreign language movies how much as you say how much more frank they are than mm. i mean let's think i mean like one of the most extraordinary examples of this is remains of the day it really it all boils down to two people who are within the same sort of corner of a room and they don't even touch and it's like the the crackling sexual tension between these two people you know the, yeah whereas in italian movies people are throwing each other around they're they're throwing each other out of cars yeah. and leaving them until the sun comes up and coming back and then they're just going home and making love and <laughs> in the same in the same breath you know like it's like yeah there's a much more sort of open and robust way of um of dealing with sexuality in like Italian movies, for example, Spanish movies. Um, yeah. Some of this... I mean, you can't see a French movie without someone being naked. I was going to say, I, one of my f- films of the year at the moment is Passages. And again, oh, the, just yeah. the comfort of, like, the sexual scenes aren't a big deal at all. And 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 they're gay sexual yeah. scenes, which yeah, is even yeah, more sh- yeah. Sh- sh- yeah. shocking in a lot of British cinema. The casualness and comfort and tenderness... The tenderness and casualness, like the 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 yes. both, is really yeah. It's empowering yeah. and and great to see. And and you're completely right. It's so much more common in European mm. cinema that it's not. I said it's not this big deal. It doesn't have to be the big scene. It's all been building up to. You know. Yes, I mean usually it's the culmination to the climax of some sort of like repressed sexuality. You know, and then finally kiss, and then the score builds and do that. Yeah. You know, whereas. You know, what I love then, certainly in Lady Macbeth, is the moment in which they have sex for the first time. It's over quite quickly because uh, it probably would be if you hadn't had sex for a bit. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. I mean? It's, it's so like real. Anti- it's, it's anticlimactic, but now the doors open, so now they can have sex as much as they want. Yeah. So now yeah. it can be whatever they, you know. But it's but it's given it's given um it's a, it's also very interesting in that sex scene. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned passages. I felt it was uh, in evidence there, but. When we shot Lady Macbeth, that sex scene, the first one with with um, Catherine and Sebastian, it was very clear that we needed to be on uh, Florence's face. We needed to see what she feels. During it. It's not a sex scene that you watch from many different wide angles and so on to get the full, but you just want to see, you know what's happening, you can hear it. Mm. But what we're interested in is what she's thinking about. Uh, and that, for me, was like, you know, when you think about shooting a sex scene, what are we going to be looking at? Well, in this instance, it's very clearly her face, you know, her, what she's thinking. 
And I thought with passages, it was just, you know, we were seeing their bodies. The framing was very interesting. It was almost like all the bodies were center framed all the time, and they were slightly mm. wide. But you were really connected to the emotional state, weren't you? I just yeah. thought that was really, really brilliantly done. Yeah, completely. And again, not necessarily always beautiful, or you no. know, sometimes no. light lady we were both rushed or panicked or or fr- or yeah. frantic, rather than as you say, the score comes in. And now we're going yeah, from yeah. angle to angle. It's like, no. There's amazing, there's amazing sex scene. I mean, again, it, if you can understand what the thought is behind this, this sex scene, then I think it obviously helps you understand where to put the camera. But Beratar did one where he had a couple on a bed having sex and then the camera just pans around the room and sort of catches them in, very slowly catches them in the mirror when the reflection mm. of a glass of a window. And by the time it comes back round to the couple again, they finished. Yeah. So you've so you know it's often like how long is the sex going to last? Like how are we going to just like cut out of it and then, or you're going to just come in and then come to the end or whatever? But yeah, this you have the whole sexual act, yeah, in, in one, one camera plan. move, and then you just got to see them at the beginning of it and at the end of it, and then you've got all the information you needed. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. I love mm. it. Well, before we wrap up, the other thing I was I wanted to ask you about as a director was on Eileen. How fun was it to get to play with? reality like i mentioned the unfulfilled desire of eileen and that that manifests early on introducing the idea that we're going to break reality and have these these moments mm. of fantasy and fiction how fun was that because it means you get to have these and there's a few a few times it happens and a few times there's a big a jump or a yeah. shock and it means you get to have yeah. these huge shocking moments without having to define the plot by them as such like and I know when I'm writing like there'll be points where I'm like it'd be so good if this happens but that fucks everything so I can't (laughs) like this would make an amazing scene but it ruins the whole story so I can't but you got to kind of like have those moments that did give you this huge moment but then back to reality there's so many in the book there's so many I mean there's so many I would have loved to have had in the film that uh, we obviously couldn't shoot you know Eileen is constantly fantasising about not only, you know, her own death, but it's almost like a way out, you know. And, and mm. there's, there's a couple of things like she gets, she fantasizes about being eaten by a bear. She fantasizes about being buried by an avalanche, you know. Yep. But I think the avalanche one is so that she gets her dad's attention or something. Yeah. I, don't, I can't, can't remember. So, you know, ha- so wherever we could, it was great because we, we're not only presenting a young woman who had this um, unfulfilled sexual desire, but she also had a very, very, imaginative vivid inner life mm. so that's what we were trying to to do and I, and I feel like with film it's great one of the great things about it is that you can just present something and then a the moment you can next moment you can change yeah yeah and audiences sort of go along with it but like, it doesn't you know what if it if you, you try it out in, in the edit and if, if it feels incongruous and you just take it out mm. you know like it doesn't if it's gonna as you say if it's gonna destroy your story arc but i like this that it's it constantly keeps an audience thinking what is real and what's not because mm. that. I think that's ultimately going to end up being quite a big question at the end. Yeah. You know, in terms of what do we believe has happened? And it felt connected to character. It didn't feel completely arbitrary. You know, I, I'm I'm always worried. I mean, I remember some, reading about some of my favourite directors always get very stressed about, oh, God, how do you do a dream? How do you film a dream? It's a nightmare without having someone wake up with a cold sweat, you know, mm. which is the cliche, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you've got to find a new way or find a way that feels right for you and so on. I think that for me was, there's one little section in there where 
Well, I don't want to say too much to give it away, but yeah, yeah. I think we can, we can say that it's very clear very early on that she fantasizes about killing her dad. Yeah. In fact, when, when Rebecca says to her, what would make somebody want to kill their father? And she says, everyone wants to kill their father. <laughs> not, even a, yeah. not even a question for her. Yeah. <laughs> then I think then, then, you know, that we, we just follow that idea, which is we just play out her fantasy of wanting to kill her father every, every step of the way. And yeah. then she never can. That's part of the tragedy of, of, um, you know, of her life. And I don't think, and I think the question we have at the end is even if she could, would she? Yeah. You know, that's, that's something we, we wanted to, you know, actually maybe leaving him to his fate is a worse punishment or maybe she just pities him. You know, maybe mm-hmm. she just thinks she, you know, she couldn't kill him. Yeah. I love it. Well, I mean, I could talk about this for hours yeah. with you, mate. This has been an absolute joy, but I'm going to wrap things up. I always kind of end by asking what's next. And I always know for filmmakers, that's often a tough question because you either can't talk yes. about it or or whatever else. But yeah, no, do you I know mean, what's next? No, I mean, similarly, I mean, there's a few things that um, are bubbling away. And I mean, I'm working with Tessa and Luke on another screenplay. This, you know, Tessa wrote mm-hmm. uh, Eileen and um, mm-hmm. Luke, her writing partner, helped her adapt it. Uh, but this would be an original idea. It wouldn't be an adaptation based on the the life of a of a British woman in the 40s uh, who was a psychic medium who was tried as a witch. Wow. Using the Witchcraft Act of 1735 and um, how sort of strange that must have been, you know. So we're, we're looking at that as a as a project. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, and then there's, I'm just reading, I've recently um, moved to Italy, so I'm looking for a project in Italy, which I think would be, you know, somewhere was warm. <laughs> Yeah, having yeah. been having been in the snow, <laughs> <laughs> I would like the actors to be able to use the sunshine and the warm sea. Yeah, in the in, in their performance rather yeah. than the snow. <laughs> this is the big test. Was the cold your superpower? Was the cold what was making yeah. these films work so well? Are you going to find we're out? Gonna now? Find out. <laughs> gonna well, find out. I think we're going to get we're going we're going to get way more set visits. We had a lot yeah. of people on Eileen being like, I would have loved to come and. Uh, visit you on set but it's New Jersey in the winter and not um, <laughs> I'm not coming <laughs> I love it but if we if we, if we shot in Sicily in the summer I think we'd find we a lot more visitors <laughs> yeah 100% well I'm excited for all that's ahead and I appreciate you taking the time it's been a pleasure it's to so chat it's, it really has been wonderful thank you very much You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I hope you enjoyed that. And as I said, Eileen is in cinemas now. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Some really good performances, a really good story. I loved it. I'll be back next week with two of the best episodes I've ever done. One of them was recorded in 2019. So that might a few of the the long-term f- followers and listeners might know w- 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 what that is, but yeah, next week's an exciting one, okay? Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.